Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese podcast. I am excited. Well, I'm always excited about our guests because we always have really rad guests. So uh, today I have Valeria Hernandez. She is a life and health coach. How are you, Valeria? I'm doing great. How are you? I am very well. I'm excited because you are a vegan and vegan and Mexican normally don't go together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm actually really excited because I think it's so important that we talk about our health. A while back, I had a podcast where I was talking about, we were talking about our womb health. Obviously, nutrition has a lot to do with that as well. Um, nutrition has a lot to do with a lot of the ailments that we have or don't have. And I think that there's a lot of people who may not, and, and I'm one of these people, I'm not going to lie, who I don't, won't necessarily go vegan, but I will definitely incorporate that into my nutrition and into my diet and diet, not mean lose weight diet, diet just in regards to, you know, right, just my everyday, on a day -to -day, the original meaning of the word diet. Yes, like exactly. Keto and, paleo and all that. Yeah. So before we get into all of that cheese, man. We always start with the wine. And I know that you are not drinking wine. You're drinking beer. However, yes. I feel you like have, <laughs> no, no, no. It's totally okay. You, you just shared with me. You just didn't have time. You forgot. You didn't have time, which is totally, girl, that's life. That's what happens, right? Facts. Yeah. So I want to share, like, go ahead and share the beer that you're drinking. But also, I know you said you have some vegan wines that you would like to share as well. So go, you, mm -hmm. the floor is yours. So I actually don't know where beer I'm drinking. I know it's a stout, but it's from a local brewery, um, Monday Night Garage here in Atlanta. And I don't know exactly the name of it, but I know it's a stout and it's really good. I like dark beers in the fall, but same goes for like my wine in the fall. And when it gets cold, I really love a red wine. So my go-to has lately has been red blends and Menage a Trois, their silk red blend is vegan. So I usually go for that. Plus I'm the like under $10 kind of wine gal, you know, if I'm feeling like I want to treat myself, I'll spend a little more than $10, but yeah, I like to keep it simple with, with the alcohol. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people though. You don't have to spend yeah. a ton of money to find quality wine. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, obviously there are, I like most of my wines are over $10. Most of my wines are over $20, I'm not gonna lie, but mm -hmm. I'm also in a space where, 
I get a lot of wine, like people send me wine. So, Mm. and then I'm more adventurous with the wines that I try. So it's, you know, I always tell people it's wine is subjective, flavor is subjective. So try it. Like if you like, you know, menage a trois, if you like barefoot, if you like Franzia, whatever you like, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I would just tell people don't only stick to those, right? Like try other things. Open your mind a little. Open your mind, right. But if that's Mm -hmm. your go-to, then that's your go-to and that's totally fine. It's a little early. You're in, you're in Atlanta. I actually, it's okay. It's one o'clock over um, here. I was like, isn't it one over there? Yeah, it's one. So it's okay. It's one o'clock, one (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. I mean, and I am having a 2017 Sauvignon Blanc from Encanto Vineyards. Um, So it's still pretty light. I didn't want to have anything really full bodied or anything this morning or this afternoon, early afternoon, because I still, I'm going to meet some friends with for matcha later, but it's kind of warmish here. I don't know. The high is going to be 70. So, but I went outside. We're, we're, I'm a, I'm a wimpy San Diego and it gets below 70 (laughs) and I'm like, it's so cold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I feel you. Salud. Cheers. There's my, my penny sound effects. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. This is perfect for, especially cause I'm not eating it. I'm not eating right now. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Something light. So let me go ahead and read your bio. Okay. Uh, Valeria Hernandez is a first generation Mexican American Latina who has a never ending passion for helping women and femmes thrive by stepping into their healthy, wealthy, health, healthy persona. Valeria is a life and health coach for ambitious women and femmes of color. She specializes in plant, I can't talk today, plant-based <laughs> nutrition and intuitive eating and wealth building. Valeria loves helping her clients increase their energy with plant-based foods and ditch diet culture so they can show up confidently in their life and fuel their dreams. Now, like I kind of stated at the top of the, you know, the interview is you don't normally put I mean, and I'm not going to say that there's not, I'm sure like there's a lot of parts of Mexico that they are very plant-based and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's where the recipes come from. But a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, Mexicanos that live here, especially the more North you get, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's rice and yeah. beans. But then like, even when you make tamales, you're using lard, you're using. Mm-hmm. So where did you grow up and how was your relationship to food growing up? Yeah, that's a great question. So I consider myself first gen, but I did live the first five years of my life in Mexico. So my family is a little spread out throughout like Baja California Norte. So I have family in Mexicali, Ensenada, Tijuana, and Rosarito. So I lived in all those places. Like when I was growing up, my mom, you know, we would move around a lot, stay with relatives, you know, how it is. And as a baby, like, I would just eat whatever was given to me and as a young child, but I actually did have some allergies issues. Um, When I was a baby, my mom said I had this bout of like high temperature and fever and I couldn't figure out what's wrong. Like all these doctors are doing tests on me. And finally, my mom took me with a holistic, like um, I guess, nutritionist and they tested for food allergies and found out I was lactose intolerant. And my mom had been giving me cow's milk, which is pretty common to do with babies. So from an early age, I was not really doing dairy because I was allergic to it. But throughout my childhood, you know, I ate 
the normal things like most Mexican Americans eat. Um, my mom was always pretty health conscious because she had some health scares in her childhood. So she was very like anti-soda, no candy, like only cake at birthday parties or for celebrations. We never had, you know, the high sugary or like highly processed foods in the house, which I think like, I think her intention was been a great place, but it also, you know, when I got into like, when we moved to the States and I was in middle and high school, I would see those things in my friend's lunches and like want to trade them or like get, you know, the things that I could never have at home because it seemed like a forbidden thing and it made it more alluring. Like everyone wants to do what their parents say no. Right. So um, that was me. And then my first memory of wanting to stop eating meat and like be vegetarian was when my dad I was eating fish and he mentioned something about how like that could be Flounder's cousin because I was obsessed with The Little Mermaid as a kid. And I'm so excited for the new release, by the way. Like, oh my gosh, me too. So <laughs> my inner I think Hall- she's going to, I know Hallie probably killed it and I can't wait. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I got goosebumps during that trailer. So that was beautiful. But yeah, I'm still like, love The Little Mermaid, love mermaids. So my, my dad was like, oh, that fish you're eating, it could be Flounder's cousin. And he was joking, of course, like, you know, dad jokes and teasing and all that. Yeah. And um, I was just like, made the connection that what I was eating was a dead animal. Because I, you don't really think about that. You know, you just kind of eat whatever is given to you as a kid. Mm -hmm. At least I did. And that really got me thinking. And then when I was 11, I had this like dead set thing where I wanted to go vegetarian, but my parents didn't let me. So then in high school, I wrote a persuasive essay for an English class that was one of our assignments. And I was like, this is why my parents should let me go vegetarian. And actually, I forgot to mention this. Sorry. I moved to the States when I was five years old. That's when I learned English. So we were living in San Diego. So we moved from like northern Mexico to San Diego, lived there for six years. So until I was 11. And when I was 11, we moved to Atlanta. So I've been here the majority of my life. But I still can like when we go back to San Diego and Tijuana and all that area, it feels like home. So I don't know if I would ever go back though. Like San Diego is so expensive and it's just so different now. Um, Let me tell and, you, as somebody yeah. who is grew up, I grew up in in Escondido. Yeah, and I left for over twenty years. Oh wow! And I came back, and I am so glad I came back. There's nowhere really? else okay. I would rather be. Absolutely. Maybe I should go back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, obviously it's not cheap, but mm-hmm. um, it's also home. I can't believe I was away for as long as I was. Where were you for the 20 years? I lived in Arizona. I lived in Orange County. My parents okay. had moved up to Orange County and they still live in Orange County now. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in Dallas for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Came back to Orange County. So I've lived, you know, I've lived in like, I was actually in another state for a very long time, but mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to come back here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I will say though, anybody, if you're not from here, stay away. We have too many people. You're, that's yeah. why our costs are dry going, going <laughs> up. Atlanta, we're these, full. Like no one moved here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're full. <laughs> I love you. Come visit. I will take you around, but don't move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No more capacity. Yes, we're at, we <laughs> are fully at capacity. That's why we, but I think that's unfortunately like a big thing across the nation is oh, yeah. 
just lack of housing and I'm not going to be liar. Like there's some greedy landlords, you know, market oh, yeah, rate, for sure. market rate is determined by the Especially landlords as with well. This inflation. It's crazy. Yeah. I, it's, there's so much layers to it, but anyways, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I could go on the whole thing, but yes. yeah. So we lived in San Diego for a while, moved to Atlanta. It was a major culture shock because I went from being like in the majority, like there's so many Latinos in San Diego and there's so many Filipinos like in the area that we were living in and just like a lot of other, you know, Asians and like people of color. I think white folks were in the minority, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I moved to not even like the city of Atlanta center, but a suburb. So we were 45 minutes north of the city center. And I was the only Latina, only person of color in a lot of my classes people were confused that I was Mexican, but tall and like fair skinned. They're like, Oh, you don't look Mexican. Like you don't, are you sure you're from California? You're not even tan. Like, did you know celebrities, blah, 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 like all these stereotypes. And when you're 11, you don't even know, like, or at least I didn't know like what racism sounded like, or like comments that were inappropriate. I would just kind of, I was like, and really shy. And, you know, 11 year old girls in general, like we feel pretty awkward and middle school is not a fun time for a lot of people so I was totally the new girl and that that was hard but you know I made my way and like now I love Atlanta and I've been here for what 17 years crazy (laughs) so did you actually present this I want to kind of go back to what you were talking about in regards to yeah Yeah. the essay did you actually Mm -hmm. present that to your parents I did yeah I I read it out loud to them. It was like a three-page double space kind of thing. Um, what were your like it, main points of that? Essentially, I was describing the reasons for wanting to go vegetarian. And the big reason, my main reason at the time was like animals. I don't want to keep eating animals. Like it's against my values, against my ethics. But another reason also was health. So I was describing to them the health benefits of eating less meat and how a lot of vegetarians have lower rates of heart disease, lower rates of cancer, diabetes, all these you know, major killers in the United States. And then I went into the part of like compromise. So I was like, if you let me go vegetarian, I promise to help out in the kitchen. My mom cooked for everyone. So I offered to like cook whatever meat stuff she made. Like I would make some vegetarian something in addition to that so that she didn't have to make extra things for me because my brother was really picky. I have a little brother who's seven years younger. So at the time he was like probably at elementary school and he was just type of uh, kid that only wanted to eat chicken nuggets and pizza. So my mom was already cooking two meals and she didn't want to like add a third with my vegetarian thing. So they're like, okay, like you clearly have not dropped this since years ago. So we're just going to let you do it. And so I went vegetarian when I was 16. I'm now 28 and vegan for seven years. So yeah, I went vegan in college when I was a little more independent. And all the reasons I had for going vegetarian were like the same reasons for going vegan. So animals, environment, health. And I just had a friend who showed me how to do it. Cause I thought vegans only like ate lettuce and drank wheatgrass shots. <laughs> like even as a vegetarian, I just had no idea what veganism looks like. Um, well, let's, once I had a friend. let's kind of clarify between vegetarian yeah. and veganism, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that some people may not understand the difference. Some people might, some people, but mm-hmm. just to clarify when yeah. you're a vegetarian, you are still able to eat dairy and eggs, correct? 
And then the difference between that, is there anything else that I'm missing out? Like dairy and eggs? There's there's like the hidden animal products too. Like there's some yogurts have gelatin in them and gelatin is made out of crushed bones. So that is not considered vegetarian. So like some jello has gelatin as well. So that wouldn't be considered vegetarian either. So always put it like if you had to kill the animal to get the product, it's not vegetarian. Like bone broth, chicken broth, things like that. Got it. And um, then yeah. when you're vegan, you remove all of those things. So not right. so no dairy, no eggs, no eggs. nothing that comes mm-hmm. from animals whatsoever. Correct. So I call myself vegan-ish slash plant-based because there's a lot of things like veganism is not just about the food you eat, but also lifestyle. So do you wear leather? Like, are you wearing silk? Silk is like an animal created fabric. Um, wool as well comes from sheep. Um, going to the zoo is like not really considered vegan because of the animal cruelty. So there's a lot of things. And I would just be totally honest. Like sometimes I eat honey. I have leather things in my like belongings. Um, and I've been vegan ish for seven years. So like, you know, I'm still working on it. It's a journey, but I think there are people that are a lot more strict about it and they're mm-hmm. a lot more intentional than I am. Um, so I think that's an important difference to make, but yeah, for the most part with the diet and the food, it's no animal products, no dairy, eggs, uh, meat or anything that really comes from an animal. So let me ask you a question because some people might think this or ask this. Yeah. There are some people that raise chickens and they're not raising them to kill them. They're not raising them to mm-hmm. slaughter them. They're raising them for their eggs and they're not mm-hmm. being... And actually, when I lived in Dallas, I actually met this couple where they had a couple mm-hmm. of chickens and they fed their chickens a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. So, And they, were, they considered themselves vegan, but they would eat the eggs because they weren't mm-hmm. giving their whatever the chickens found in the ground, obviously like just the natural mm-hmm. whatever in their backyard, like worms or yeah. whatever, but like whatever additional that they gave them for food, it wasn't to fatten them up. It wasn't to like, mm-hmm. so they were like, we felt, they felt okay having eating eggs because yeah, they were essentially, I guess, to, to the best of their ability, vegan eggs, I guess they considered them. Right, right. And then when it comes to wool, right? Mm -hmm. Sheep need to be sheared. If they're not sheared, it can get so heavy. It can actually be really a hindrance to the sheep, right? If they're Mm -hmm. not, if they're not sheared. So those types of things, I understand leather um, and honey, honey is something that bees naturally produce. So yeah, how do you feel? I mean, I know everybody's going to have their own opinion on those things, but in Mm -hmm. regards to those three things specifically, what do you feel? What are your thoughts on that? That, yeah, those are all great questions. And they're all questions I've asked myself as well. So I'll just like address each one with the chickens. I always think of, and with anything really, I always think like, would these animals be here doing their thing if I wasn't, if humans didn't exist, for example. So like with the, chi- with the backyard chickens, I don't know, like the people that, you know, their specific circumstance, but a lot of times backyard chickens come from like a chicken raising sort of situation. Like those chickens are created to be adopted or bought as backyard chickens. So they're still being created on purpose for their eggs to be like in the consumption of humans. And those eggs, even though the chickens are eating vegan like feed, personally, I wouldn't consider those eggs vegan, but I understand those people calling themselves vegan or like 
veganish or plant-based, which is what I typically call myself, because that is one of those gray areas where it's like, the chickens are living a good life. They're not going to get slaughtered. Hopefully they're going to die a natural death, but they're, the eggs are still a natural process because it's the fe- it's like the chicken's period, you know, mm-hmm. like it's an unfertilized egg. Like that happens to us as well when we get our period, like, you know, ovulation and all that. So I would say that's one of those gray areas. Would I eat eggs from a backyard chicken? Probably not because I just don't even like enjoy the taste of eggs anymore. But I can see why like someone else would. And then with the wool, I have some wool items. I think with sheep, again, like are they there for the specific production of wool for humans to therefore wear it? Because if not, then like wild sheep, I'm sure they need to be sheared. And like, you know, there's a natural processes that I don't really know a ton about. But a lot of times the sheep that are specifically bred for a wool production situation are constantly being sheared and like to the point where it's not what would happen naturally. And then with the bees, again, like similar situation, bees do produce honey naturally, but I don't think it's to the rate of like, well, it depends because there are some beekeepers that are very intentional and ethical and do like everything in their power to not harm the bees or cause them stress. But then there's other, maybe more like, the Walmart honey, for example, where it's like, they don't care about the bees. They're just going to pop out as much honey as they can make it as cheap as possible. So I think there's differences in the processes, but yeah, those are all great areas and great questions, you know, and it's about each person. I think like there's too much black and white thinking in the vegan community. And I always think like, how can we make this more accessible to other people? Like if someone really loves their wool socks and like wants to wear them and they keep them warm, especially with like um, clothing and like things like that, that you reuse them because with food, it's like you eat it once and you're done and then you keep eating it. It's like a constant consumption. But with clothes, like I find wool to be more long lasting than other fabrics. So then it comes into the question of like, which one is more sustainable? Like, is it the animal derived fabric or is it the like plastic derived fabric or is it something else? Like maybe there's a third option that I don't know about. Again, fabrics is like not my expertise in the vegan thing, but yeah, I think it it's like a personal preference. Yeah. And then you have other people that would say, well, for using these like natural fat fabrics, right? Cotton is something that grows. Obviously mm-hmm. wool is from sheep and then silk is from, is it from caterpillars? Yeah, worms, I think. Silkworms. Yeah. Silkworms. Yeah. Look like caterpillars. Yeah. Then you have like fast fashion that doesn't really use these Mm. things. The most it would use Mm -hmm. would be some cotton, right? Yeah. So if you're, I almost feel like if you're vegan, Mm -hmm. you're in a a little crux because you want something that's sustainable. You want to, like, I'm I'm trying to get away from fast fashion. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, same here. I'm trying to get away from that. I'm I'm starting to buy more expensive pieces at like Nordstrom's or small businesses or things, you know, and I'll pay a little mm-hmm. bit more. I don't go shopping very often anymore because it exhausts me. I'm not 20 years old anymore. <laughs> shopping just exhausts me. I feel this. that. I feel yeah. that. <laughs> but... When I do, I try and go with intention to spend a little bit more money to spend. Mm-hmm. And I, which sometimes means like, which means silks and yeah. wool 
I'm in San Diego, so I don't really wear wool, (laughs) but (laughs) cottons and, and things like that where, so you're, so I feel like if you're vegan, you're in a crux because you care about the environment, but fast fashion right now is making such an impact in regards to what's happening in our, like being just wasted and wasteful. How do you coexist with that? Honestly, before I even went vegan, most of my clothes were like not from animal derived fabrics. Like I have maybe a couple wool socks in a sweater and then I have like one silk shirt. I have some leather shoes still in bags, but like, again, those are years old. And like I said, leather lasts longer, but I am in the future. Like if I were to go look for some boots now, I would try to not buy a leather boot just knowing the leather industry and I've researched more and like I'm more aware about that stuff but honestly I think there's so many options in fabrics and in the fashion world that are not fast fashion and there's such a huge rise of thrifting like people reselling their thrift finds or there's online thrifting options like thread up like you don't even have to go into Goodwill and search the bins for like hours on them because right. I don't have time for that. It's not my hobby. I have a friend who loves doing that and she has like amazing finds, but it's not my jam. <laughs> I, I know. I have, I have a friend who, <laughs> I know, right? I have a friend who is very good at thrifting and she's, I've interviewed her on, on the podcast mm-hmm. and her name is Francesca. And I was like, take me with you thrifting. Let's go thrifting together. So, and you can do a freaking, like, I don't care. Like be like before, after with me of I'm taking, (laughs) because I used to thrift a long time ago, but I just, again, I just, it's, I don't have the patience and then things Mm -hmm. like, I'm not a size, you know, I'm not little, right. I'm like a size Mm -hmm. 12, 14. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit there going through all this stuff and then feeling like defeated because I can't find what, I think right. might put on me or whatever. So yeah, uh, it's already hard and like triggering enough, like going in normal stores and trying like clothes. Like I don't, thrifting is just a whole nother monster. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much. Thrifting aside, there are a lot of, you know, TLDR, like there's a ton of options out there that are not fast fashion and are like vegan fabrics. Got it. I want to talk because one of the things that you said in the questionnaire was how veganism helped you reconnect with your Mexican heritage. Can you explain how it did that? Yeah. So before I was vegan, I honestly didn't think a ton about my culture as it relates to food. And I didn't make an effort to make Mexican dishes. Like I was just making whatever was easiest. And then once I did go vegan, I realized, wow, like there's so many Mexican foods that are naturally plant-based, you know, frijoles, like arroz. If you don't cook it with lard or like the chicken broth or stuff like that. I did that. I made my frijoles vegan and I've done that Mm -hmm. for years now. Cause Mm -hmm. I went, like we did this Daniel fast thing where you're basically vegan for 28 days. Okay. And I started making my beans there and I just never went back to putting like a pata or bacon or lard or anything. So what do you use now? A lot of seasoning. (laughs) I just season, I season my beans. I put jalapenos, cilantro, seasoning, and I put it in the crock pot. Nice. So it's nice because it literally just all day, all of that flavor is just, Mm. you know, marinating. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, I was realizing there are so many 
um, foods and ingredients that were already plant-based. And then I started thinking about like holidays, specifically like Nochebuena Christmas. And I was like, oh, tamales definitely aren't even vegetarian, let alone vegan. Like I need a, because I was at the age where I'm like starting to come into my Latina identity. Like now it's really hot to be Latina, right? But like back in the day when curly hair and thick eyebrows were not a trend and the whole queen girl thing, like I won't even go into that rant. Girl, oh, <laughs> like there used to be a time where it wasn't cool to be Latina, but that was kind of, I was starting to like come into my culture and like, okay, what are the foods that we're making during the holidays? Like, I want to be out. Mm. Yeah, nopales, like tamales, all these things, menudo, pozole. So all these things that, like, my tias are making, like, I don't want to be left out. So I took it upon myself to learn how to veganize these things and, like, make recipes that I found online. Dora's Kitchen is an amazing vegan Mexican recipe maker. I use a ton of her recipes that really helped me like start connecting with my Mexican heritage because my Nana, my grandmother, she passed away when I was 23. She was kind of the matriarch. She would make a lot of the foods during Christmas. So then that even strengthened that whole bond of like, when I make these foods, it's kind of a remembrance of her as well. And like her birthday was December 24th. So Noche Buena was always lit at her house. Like everyone was there. She would get double the presents and and it was just like such a beautiful time. So now it's just my way to connect back with my family and my culture and also like show that culture to other people because that's kind of how we share our culture, right? It's like the food, the traditions. I mean, food is just such a huge part of cultural identity in my opinion. So mm. to not... I think a lot of for a lot of people of color, especially Latinos, like they don't want to change the way they eat because they're afraid of losing that culture. So it's also a way for me to like show, hey, like I still eat tamales, like I still eat all these things, and I'm Mexican and I'm vegan. Like it's okay, you know, we can we can eat all those things still. How do you make tamales vegan? Seriously, I have no idea. Like, yeah, I, yeah. How? <laughs> so I use. Doris Kitchen red frac- red jackfruit tamales recipe. And instead of the lard, it's coconut oil. And then instead of like the boyo, what's it called when it's like shredded? This menopelum? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's jackfruit. So when you cook down jackfruit, and I usually get the canned because jackfruit, Dang. like the raw yeah, jackfruit, I would never be able to cut that in my life. Like, I don't understand how people do that. I would actually, I do want to be with somebody who knows how to cut a jackfruit because I have a lot of Asian friends that they just mm-hmm. eat it like that. It's like sweet. I've cooked mm-hmm. jackfruit. So mm-hmm. I've used it for like oh, nice. pork. Yeah. I've heard, I, I've heard there's a, like a carnitas recipe that you can use jackfruit mm-hmm. for, which I haven't yeah. done, but I've definitely used it. And it does okay. have a very shredded meat like if you shred it right and everything it does have Mm -hmm. that texture and it does take on the flavors of whatever you were cooking it with yeah yeah so I use uh, the guajillo peppers and make the sauce out of that and then you know cook the jackfruit in that sauce and then I also put that sauce in the masa so it gives the masa like an extra flavor so yeah other than that you know everything else is the same like masaca is vegan and yeah all the spices are you know plant-based, no animal products. So those are the what main been, differences. What, so when you went to college and made that trans or started learning, 
making that mm-hmm. transition from vegetarian to more vegan-ish. Mm-hmm. What was the thing that surprised you the most? And what was the thing that was most difficult? So the thing that surprised me the most was how mentally clear I felt because in my mind, I was like, well, I'm already vegetarian. Like that's 80% of the way there. Like I'm practically, the only things I was really eating that weren't vegan at the time was like Greek yogurt and eggs. Um, I was a huge egg person. Cause like I said, the lactose intolerance, like was already drinking almond milk and all that. But even then making the switch to vegan, I just felt so much more mentally clear, more energized being a college kid. Like you're not getting, or at least I studied engineering. I didn't get a lot of sleep in college. I don't know other people's college experience, but that was mine. So I was constantly tired. And when I made that switch in my nutrition, I just felt like more awake and like energized. So that was really interesting to me, that difference that it made. And it I actually initially tried veganism. I was like, I'll only do it for Lent. So 40 days, I think. Like, I'm just going to try it, you know, see how it goes. And it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I think the most challenging thing, the main thing I struggled with was going out to eat with friends, especially brunch. Like the brunch scene in Atlanta is huge. And there's not a lot of brunch foods that are naturally vegan. Like just straight up. (laughs) Like there is roasted potatoes and like a fruit bowl, maybe oatmeal sometimes. But most of the times it's like eggs, bacon, ham, like omelets, egg benedict. Yeah. I used to be a sucker for egg benedict when I was vegetarian. I but love yeah, eggs benedict. That, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the main struggle is eating out and brunch like, specifically. <laughs> well, yeah, I could totally get that. What has yeah. been, and now that you're seven years into this journey, Mm-hmm. Has this had an impact on your family as well? Have they, has any of them embraced it or started to, or any of that? Not totally, like not as much as one would think. They're still very dead set in their um, meat loving ways, especially my dad. He's like the type that, again, super big teaser, dad jokes all the time. So actually today I saw him for lunch and he, we went to an Indian restaurant. He ordered chicken tandoori and he was like, Oh, do you want some? Knowing full well that I'm not going to eat meat. Like he knows that I'm set in my ways and I have not eaten meat for more than a decade. And I'm like, no doubt I'm good. But it used to really piss me off because I knew he would only say that to get a rise out of me. And with my mom, I I have noticed her eating a lot less meat and animal products in general, but she does occasionally like still eat it. And when she goes out to eat, like she'll order meat things, but I don't think she cooks it at home as much. I always say, I don't know if I could go vegetarian or vegan. I could probably Mm -hmm. go pescatarian. Seafood is, I love seafood. Yeah, I've even noticed I don't eat as much. I've cut down on I don't hardly ever eat pork anymore. Like I mm, used to eat that's awesome. not a ton of pork, but I would make pork. I mean, I, I have it every once in a while, but I ra- I don't even buy it unless I know I want to make chili con carne and then I'll buy mm-hmm. it. But otherwise, like I even notice, and I think for me, because I do have a lot of womb issues, a lot of womb mm-hmm. health issues, I'm trying to eat more like Mediterranean, which is still a lot mm-hmm. plant-based, but there's still a lot, mm-hmm. like you can still eat a little bit of chicken, but it's a very um, seafood heavy, which mm-hmm. makes me happy anyways, because I love seafood <laughs> that I couldn't give up. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> right. Well, and um, I think that's a, that's a good point. Cause like, it's not about the whole world going vegan. I think 
we would be a lot better off from the animal, you know, environmental standpoint as well. If everyone just like chose one day that they weren't going to eat animal products, like a meatless Monday, for example, that would make such a bigger impact than if like just a handful of people went vegan. No, it's true. And I think there's so many things because I've, again, like I was telling you, I've kind of worked on this myself of incorporating that into my diet of having, Mm-hmm. whether it's a meatless, maybe it's not a meatless Monday, but a meatless day or two, or even yeah. learning how to make some um, vegan recipes. So for example, I make really badass vegan Alfredo sauce. Ooh, oh, I've perfected amazing. it. Well, I haven't made it in a while, but I've, I mm-hmm. need to, because I've perfected that to the to yeah. the point where I actually made it with my family and I didn't tell them. And they were like, cause my mom, the heaviness, she loves Alfredo. She loves fettuccine Alfredo, but it gives her mm-hmm. stomach aches, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. gives her digestive issues. Mm-hmm. And I made it and it just, it's the flavor was still there. It just didn't feel, you didn't feel heavy. You didn't feel like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I want to go directly to sleep when you're eating it. Right. So mom really right. loved it. And then I've really perfected a vegan mac and cheese as well. Ooh, I love mac and cheese. Oh, girl, I like, and I did all of the things, right? Because, okay, Mm -hmm. I do like, let's talk about like the different products and taste and everything, because I think that's something that people really are afraid of, of how things are going to taste. It's going to taste gross or it's going to taste this, it's going to taste that, but it's finding the right combination. So like, for example, a lot of mac and cheese things say replace, replace it with nutritional yeast. I Mm -hmm. love nutritional yeast, but I can taste the difference. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. a big, like if I'm having it on, I love it on popcorn. I love it on different things, but as my Mm -hmm. milk, as my cheese substitute, I don't like it because I can taste the difference. Right. So what I've used was a combination of, I did soak cashews. So I soaked the cashews and then in addition to vegan cheese. Mm -hmm. And so, but not all vegan cheese tastes good. There are some that taste really (laughs) gross. So the one that, and tell me if you found another one, the one that I have found that tastes the the best and especially for cooking. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even tell the difference is follow your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that one. Um, Another one I really love is Mikonos or Miyoko's. I Uh forgot how to, like my brain sees it and thinks Mikonos, like the place in Greece, but I think it's Miyoko's. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. So that one's really good, but it's a little on the pricier side. So I usually go with follow your heart as well. So what are some of the other things that people, because I think that's such a huge, if you don't like the way it tastes, you're not going to eat it. Mm -hmm. So how do people find the things that are going, because you don't want to feel like if you're going to change, even if you're going from to veg, you know, to even if it's one day or two days a week, you still Mm want to make sure the food that you're eating tastes good. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you have found that really are really good substitutes that taste very similar, if not the same? I mean, like I think the coconut aminos at Trader Joe's, I think it tastes the Mm -hmm. same as soy sauce. My boyfriend thinks I'm crazy. Kush sauce? He thinks uh, soy sauce. Oh, soy sauce. Okay. I think it tastes the same. Like I can't Uh, tell the difference. I think it tastes the same. I mean, maybe it's a less salty, but I welcome that change because I don't really love super salty things. So yeah, I love it. Like I, he's a salty person. So that's probably why. Yeah, that makes sense. 
because mm-hmm. he's like, I can't believe you think this tastes the same. And I've given <laughs> it to other friends and they're like, yeah. they can't tell the difference either. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. if I put it in a soy sauce bottle, he probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right. It's like do a blind taste test and then yeah. let's see if he really thinks that. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to like get a, a soy sauce bottle, empty it into something else. We'll keep it. I'm not going to waste it. And then put right. the coconut in me. But also he doesn't like coconut. So I think it's in his head. Oh, uh, maybe. I yeah. think he's, he he's, reads the word and like instantly is like, nope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are some of those other ones that you have? So I really love like Sprouts brand vegan yogurt. I think it tastes so similar. Another one is like, I don't get sour cream a ton, like even before when I wasn't vegan, but the Tofuti brand sour cream with some like potato chips dipped on that is very similar, I think. And also, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I have been vegan for seven years. So there comes a point where you don't even compare the things in your head. I remember when I went a month without dairy and then had it again, I was like, this tastes weird. So I think it's also important to remember like, yeah, we can get really close to the dairy thing, but it's not going to taste like identical because it's not. And that's okay. Like, is it delicious regardless of whatever you're comparing it to? Then like, yeah, if you like it and it's delicious, then it's worth eating. But I do tofu for a lot of substitutes. Like I'll do a tofu scramble does it taste like eggs? Probably not, but it gives that same like satisfying savoriness. And like, I use a lot of spices and put like salsa in it. The just egg is also very, very similar. To, that one is actually legit, very similar to egg. Just egg with like normal, regular chicken eggs. And then like the impossible meat. I think if you blind taste tested meat eaters, they would have a hard time telling the Impossible difference. meat does taste. And it like yeah, the color, the texture. It's so, yeah. No, because yeah. I've tried it and I was like, because I just wanted to try it, not because of anything. I was just like, let's see. If right. It Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? Like when I tried it, I was like, what the heck? But just, I think with, it's also, you know, you have to know that just like regular red meat, those are not something you should be eating all the time. Because Mm -hmm. it is very processed. It is very, you know, but I think it is to give those people that still want that flavor, that texture, that like to feel like they're included. And it's in a lot of places now too. So you don't, if you're going to a restaurant, there's usually a meat alternative Mm -hmm. hamburger or whatever. So yeah, it kind of makes you feel like you're part of the group instead of feeling so Mm -hmm. like you felt so segregated from your family and stuff when you were doing things. Mm -hmm. When people come to you, because you you talk about not just the plant-based nutrition, but intuitive eating. What is intuitive eating and how do you work with people in regards to not just going plant-based? Like where do people normally start when they're like, I think I want to do plant-based, I'm not sure. And then how do you reach them with that? And like I said, with, in, with intuitive eating. Yeah, I love that question. It really depends on the person, honestly. And that's why I do personalized coaching because there could be someone that has a very healthy relationship with food, lets themselves eat whatever they want, whenever they want. And that is what I call like total food freedom. You know, you're not like policing yourself saying I can't have carbs past 9 p.m. or stuff like that. And they want to go plant-based. It's like, okay, yeah, like you clearly have a healthy relationship with food. You're curious about this plant-based life. We can start easing you into it. Um, I never suggest going overnight because that is just such a drastic shock to your body, first of all. And 
when you're trying to incorporate a new way of eating, it's difficult. Like eating is an everyday part of your life. So I always say like, let's go a little by little. However, if there's someone that has maybe like a little bit of like disordered eating past or is struggling to just eat like multiple meals a day, a lot of my clients under eat. So they're eating like one meal a day, like they're having their cafecito for breakfast and coffee is not a meal. But I always tell them like coffee is a drink. It's not a meal. You can have it with food, but that doesn't count as, you know, if you just have coffee, it's not breakfast. So they struggle to even get their three meals period. And so for people like that, I first start with like, let's get you eating more food before we even worry what type of food it even is and like changing the foods, you know? So it really depends on the person. Cause like, you can have someone that is really struggling to listen to their body and really struggling to eat more vegetables or like eat period or just feels very overwhelmed with the kitchen. And if you get them to start eating plant-based and like add another thing on top of that, it starts to feel very overwhelming. So, but to answer your question about intuitive eating, that is really a method of eating that I think is just like our natural way of being, you know, before we had industrialization and diet culture and like the diet industry and all these like what quote unquote wellness fads, which a ton of quote unquote wellness is I think diet culture disguised as something else. <laughs> Before we had all of that, people just ate when they were hungry and they stopped when they were full and they listened to their bodies. But now there's so much internalized, again, diet culture, you know, food rules, body shaming, fat phobia, that may subconsciously or consciously change how we eat. So intuitive eating is just going back to how we feel. Like, what are you craving in this moment? Do you actually want to eat that? Or are you eating that because you think it'll make you skinnier? Are you not eating that because you think it'll make you fat? What do you actually want? Are you wanting to go plant-based because you want to lose weight and you think that's the only way? Or do you really want to go plant-based because you think it'll make you feel better and more energized and maybe you're constipated and you need more veggies? So things like that is like what I usually coach people around, but that is in a nutshell is what intuitive eating is. Which I think, yeah, it would be great if we were able to go back to that. But I think so many processed foods kind of, doesn't that mess with our bodies in regards to not telling us when we're fully satiated or when we're full? That's what I've heard, right? And like sugars and everything. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I have made my home homemade marinara sauce like twice in my life. It was so good, Mm -hmm. but it takes a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Your girl don't have all that time all the time. Right. So I went on a search for a sugar-free marinara sauce. Mm -hmm. Every single place has one. Every single place has sugar, 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 sugar. Mm -hmm. And the only place where I found where there wasn't one was at Trader Joe's. I think it's their organic marinara sauce Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have sugar. And ever since then, that's what I get. Okay. Because there's all of these things, right? Like when sugar is, the sugar is in bread. Like you buy bread. Why is sugar in bread? Like it makes no sense to me. Do any of your clients get like a crash when they're going from regular to plant-based? They actually experience the opposite usually. Um, They're experiencing more energy. So with the sugar thing, I want to go back to like the whole like sugar and salt and processed foods thing because that is a common thing that comes up. Like when I say intuitive eating, people think, oh, you're eating pizza and ice cream and like whatever you want all the time. And that's not the case. Like 
it's actually listening to your body and what do you want? Like sometimes, do you ever crave like things that are not unhealthy? Like I'm not a big yeah. sweets person. So when you were saying the sweets thing, I'm not a big sweets person. Like my idea of sweets is fruit with some sprinkled coconut on it and I'll have a little bit of coconut whipped cream on top of it. Yeah. So like, that's a perfect example of not everyone's going to crave those like processed foods all the time. And I think a lot of it is like, we have the mindset of, I can't eat sugar. So then we want to eat more sugar because we're telling ourselves I can't do it. Whereas if we were like, oh, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, then it kind of like releases that pressure of never being able to have a certain thing. So then you stop desiring it as much. Hopefully that makes sense. But yeah, totally. I think, yes, there are a lot of foods out there that are made in a way that might not benefit everyone. So the thing about listening to your body is like, how do you feel after eating the food? Because it's not just about like, it's like, am I feeling good after eating this bread? Am I feeling good after eating this sugar-filled marinara sauce? And if the answer is yes, then like, it's, I think that, you know, it's a valid thing to eat. But that's also things that I work with people that are really struggling to let themselves eat those things. You know what I mean? So if someone has a really healthy relationship with food already, because in my head, that's step one. Like, are you over-restricting? Are you eating enough period per day, regardless of what it is? That's step one. And when step one is complete and we're there, then we move to like, okay, like, are you emotionally eating? How are, how do you regulate your feelings? Like what is, what are the things that you're eating? Are you getting enough protein, carbs, fiber? Do we want to add more vegetables to your diet? So that's kind of like the process I see as a coach. Um, but yeah, with plant-based, like usually my clients are feeling more energized. If anything, I think the one struggle is like the digestive stuff, because when you start adding a lot more fiber, like you start having more bowel movements. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, sorry if that's TMI, but you know, that's how our bodies work. But I think that's a good thing. Sometimes they get scared. They're like, what's happening? Like I'm pooping three times a day. And it's like, no, no, that's good. Your body is like letting that stuff go. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, the hardest thing is, um, is cheese. I'm a cheeseaholic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've cut it down, but I will still have like every once in a while, I'll just make myself a nice cheese and charcuterie board. I mean, hello, mm. wine and cheese and charcuterie, like, yeah. Wine and cheese there. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And, yeah. um, and I know for my womb health, that's not always, that's not the best. So I've tried mm-hmm. to cut back on it. And I think yeah. we, there's such a relationship between food and health mm-hmm. that has gotten lost. Like, I feel like some parts are being rediscovered and everything, in regards to, but I think you're so right. It really has to do with how you're doing. And if you're having ailments, like I'm really trying to, like I said, go more of a Mediterranean type diet because it's supposed to help me, but Mm -hmm. I'm not always so good at it. So I'm slowly trying to like, to do that. So I, so I can, because I do have such issues and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So you guys like Mm -hmm. me, please like once in, you know, when we post about this, online, please share, like, please share your stories because food is, it can be healing. And I think that so many of us are in such a, we're in such a microwave society. We want what we want when we want it, how quick we want it. Mm-hmm. That we 
take all these pills. I hate taking pills. If I have to, I will. But we don't let the natural process work its way through, like trying that first, right? Trying changing our diet, trying changing like our habits Mm -hmm. and whatever before Mm -hmm. going to take a pill. What do you talk about? Like, have you had a lot of people who've had health issues or whatever that have been Mm -hmm. able to be really reversed through the change in their diet and and going more plant-based? Yes. I had a client who was anemic when we started working together and through, you know, her describing how she was eating and like her current situation, I did realize that she was under eating. And when you're under eating, it's hard to get like enough of any nutrient, but especially iron. So people that are anemic, that means they're low in iron for those listeners who do not know. But especially for women because, or menstruating people, because when you menstruate, you lose a little bit of iron. And then there's also other activities. Like if you're a long distance runner, you tend to have less iron as well because your feet are constantly banging against the ground. And there's some scientific thing that happens if you have less iron, but we got her eating more and eating, focusing on iron rich plant-based foods. So those are like beans, dark leafy greens. um, And then also pairing like iron with vitamin C to help with absorption and also like not drinking coffee when she's having things with iron in it because coffee is actually an iron blocker. So through all those things, we actually helped get her iron levels back to normal, which was great because when you're anemic, you're also feeling very fatigued. So if you've been very tired lately and you can't pinpoint what it is, I always suggest getting your blood work done because you are your own best health advocate. And you can't really know what's happening unless you take a look under the hood. So blood work is an amazing tool. And then I had another client as well who had, she was pre-diabetic. So she was starting to take, I think it's called metformin. Metformina was the uh, medication. And it was to help balance her levels. So her big thing was that she had a huge sweet tooth. So the total opposite of you. She was like all about the candy, all about the cake, cookies, anything with sugar. She was there. And we realized a lot of that was emotional eating and also like a comfort thing because she used to have a lot of sleep when she was young and with her family. So she equated that to like family connection and having sleep and feeling loved. So we worked through that a lot. And a lot of the food things we have are actually very emotional. So uh, through her eating less sweets, she was able to reduce the amount of medication that she had to take. So So speaking of examples, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of like, the iron deficiency, people are always concerned of going plant-based, of not getting enough Mm -hmm. iron, not getting enough protein. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I know one of the things you're saying is the myth about ditching meat and being protein deficient. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I actually have a whole freebie of like plant-based proteins and recipes that you can use them in. But my whole thing with protein Actually, it's not me. It's like science. Um, but the average American in the United States and probably in other countries, like developed countries where malnutrition is not a huge issue, uh, the average person actually gets too much protein, which can have uh, damaging health effects. And another point that is also science is my question to you and our lovely listeners, like, have you ever heard of anyone dying from too little protein? Because it's actually a <laughs> it's actually a condition and it's very, very rare. So that 
that is, you know, not to negate the fact that that does happen because it is real, but it's very rare. But the number one killer in the United States is heart disease. And what do we know about that is like too many fats, too much cholesterol, like things that are clogging your arteries. Number one killer of women. Yeah. Number one killer of women as well. Um, So I always say like, is the protein fear coming from like media and just in general, we're told we need protein all the time or is it a real, you know, is it based on like the numbers and the stats? Yeah. Like I'm a numbers girl. I'm always like, let's look at the numbers. What are the facts? Because media can influence how we think and also society, what are our parents saying? What are our friends saying? But if you're eating enough food, period, like you're getting your daily value of calories, you're going to get enough protein because there's protein in everything, not just dairy, but bread, like broccoli, (laughs) apples have a little protein, you know, everything has at least a little bit of protein. It might not say it on the nutrition facts because I think there's like a minimum threshold that is detected, but everything you eat, you know, or at least most of the stuff you eat has protein in it already. So you're probably getting enough if you're eating enough. Now, if you're under eating, that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple of questions before I let you go, because I cannot believe it's already been an hour. Oh my gosh. I know this flown by. (laughs) So people might be asking like, what makes you qualified? Why should I listen to Valeria? Why do I need to do this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody has an opinion, which is okay. Mm -hmm. Have an opinion and ask questions. That's what you should be doing. So two things, how can people get a hold of you? And then what are, why should people listen to you, Valeria? (laughs) Well, going plant-based changed my life and my health. Um, I was really the person that felt very sleepy after eating, had a lot of like breakouts on my face, constant fatigue. In high school, I was a runner and my performance was awful. And just um, digestive issues and things in my health that I felt were always holding me back. And once I changed the way I ate and started incorporating plant-based, all of that got better and I had more energy and I felt like I could do the things that I truly wanted to do. And I see that so much in people, especially women and like Latinas especially, is that we have these huge dreams, these huge ambitions, these huge you know, visions for our life. Maybe we have a nine to five and a side hustle and we're just really exhausted and we feel like our own health is holding us back sometimes. So I always say like, are you under fueling your dreams by under eating, you know, because that really, when we have thriving health, we can do the things we truly want and are set in our heart. And why should you listen to me? I mean, that's up to you. You know, you can follow me on Instagram. (laughs) At Veggie Vale, so V-E-G-I-V-A-L-E. I have a newsletter that you can get on. I do like bi-weekly emails with recipes and um, you know, lifestyle tips for healthy habits. And I also share some wealth building tips as well. And I do do one-on-one coaching if that's something that you're interested in as well. So I'm taking private clients currently. And yeah, I just I love this life so much. I love eating the way I do so much. And I think it just adds so much value. I don't see it as a sacrifice. So I think, you know, if someone can be open-minded about it because it is a great way to improve your health and also help the environment a little bit and the animals. So I'm a huge advocate for it. And I will say, I do appreciate that you are not trying to beat people over the head, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. 
There's this trend on TikTok, like, I don't know if you've seen it or not, of what is something that people use as their personality trait and that becomes very annoying. And I've seen a Mm -hmm. bunch that say vegans. (laughs) Yeah, that was me like when I first went vegan. (laughs) So even just like you said, even if you decide to do it just one day a week, look, veganism may not be for you. Vegetarian may not be for you. But you never know unless you try something, right? Even if it's just for a day or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I've tried to incorporate it more just into my regular diet. So it's not, Mm -hmm. and I know, I think I know what makes me feel good and what doesn't, doesn't, but um, I, I, that's why I'm trying these other things because I do have issues with, particularly with my womb that I I've had friends who have gone more vegetarian and vegan that have helped them. My biggest Mm -hmm. thing is, again, fish. I got it. You know, I have seafood is a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. I also try not to do farm raised things. I try and do wild caught stuff, but, and and cheese. I'm not going to lie. Cheese, that's that's a hard one. But I want to make sure if there's anything else that I didn't ask you, if you wanted to add anything else, anything additional. I'll share two last fun facts that are related to the wine and the cheese. All right. So I know I mentioned when we first started talking vegan wine, and some people might think like, isn't wine made out of grapes? Like what is in it that makes it not vegan? And it's actually the fining agent. So there's like casein, which is a milk protein, albumin. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's egg whites. And then sometimes gelatin or isinglass, which is isinglass or ice. Isin glass. I don't know if I'm saying these things right. I'm not the wine expert, but it's a <laughs> fish bladder protein. So those are animal products that are used in the process, but they're not necessarily in the wine. I try to make an effort to not get things that use that, but wine itself doesn't have the animal products in it. So just wanted to point that out. And then cheese, since you're a huge fan of cheese, fun, well, maybe not so fun, but there is a component in cheese that's called casomorphine. And it might sound like morphine because that is like the same root of the word. And it's actually an addictive compound. So they've done studies that lights up your brain, like the center, the part of the brain that has to do with addiction. So when people say, I can't live without cheese, like it's literally because it's an addictive thing. That's why I say I'm a cheeseaholic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that is um, a huge thing. I was I was a total cheeseaholic as well. And I never thought That's I would have lived without thing. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, um, I don't remember if it's sheep's milk or goat's milk has like, the. I think it's goat's milk has a lot less lactose mm-hmm. in it than yeah. the other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at me remembering something yeah. that I randomly. Milk, yeah. Yeah. So for people that are lactose intolerant, like anytime they're like, oh, I can have goat, you know, I can have goat cheese. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So I've learned that and I love goat cheese anyways. And I'm one of those mm-hmm. suckers. I see some goat cheese on something. I'm like, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More than yeah, anything totally else. Yeah. Valeria, thank you. I can't believe it's already been an hour. This like, it flew yeah, by. You're having fun. <laughs> yes. You guys, mi gente, make sure please follow Valeria. If you have questions about vegetarianism or veganism or whatever, like in regards to those things, if you're thinking about it, follow her, DM her. That is what she is here for. So until next time. All right. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.